Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. And just as we continue in, in a spirit of worship and just sensing the presence of the Lord, Father, we just thank you for what you are doing in our midst. We thank you for your spirit that that lives in all believers. Father, encourage us now through your word to be bold. Encourage us, Father, to understand that, that, Lord, you've called us to very specific things. But you've called us to serve you and to seek you and to trust you. And that means different things for different people. Lord, give us the ability to hear from you, to to know your will, to understand your calling. And Lord, through through the power of the Spirit working this morning through your word, I pray that we would be transformed, changed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We serve a sending God. We don't serve a God who's unconcerned or unconnected. We serve a God who's intimately involved in our lives and desires us to be more, desires us to go and accomplish great things for him. I had one of these kind of moments this morning when I started to worry a little bit. I, I, I kind of maybe need to explain to you, when I, when I stand up here, I understand the significance of what, I do, what I'm doing really more and more every year. But I never walk up here with, with absolute certainty in my ability. In fact, I, I worry oftentimes, am I saying the right things? Am I, am I, am I correct biblically? Is, is the Lord speaking through me as I, as I so desperately desire him to do and, and I never want to be redundant, and I kind of had one of those moments of panic this morning, early this morning, as I thought, you know, we've been walking through this text now in these different verses and these different scriptures. This is our ninth week, and every week I say, we serve ascending God, and I don't ever want you, and I don't think you'd ever do it physically, but kind of in your mind to go, here we go again, right? When are we going to move to something different? I don't, I don't ever want you to be bored or kind of get tired of what we're doing, and I was just kind of thinking through that, and, and again, kind of this, this moment of panic, it, it was almost as if the Lord, you know how sometimes the Lord just speaks to you and he gets your attention? He reminded me that this was his idea. It's not Adam's idea. Uh, if, if Adam could write this, we could just all go do what we wanted to do. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But, but I think what we see scripturally and, and what he just reminded me of this morning is that he absolutely is ascending God. That he has from the beginning been sending his people It's His will and it's His desire to use you to accomplish great things. And so if it is His will and it is His desire, and it is what we see all through Scripture, then we really should live our lives with this mindset of what's God calling me to do? What's His will for my life? What's He sending me to accomplish? And so in order to help us better understand that, we've been walking through different Scriptures over the last several weeks 
We've been looking at different examples of people through Scripture that have been sent. Jesus, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, last week, John the Baptist. And we've used an acronym, and we're going to... I don't know if we've got it on the screen or not, if I gave it to you this week or not. But hopefully at this point we're beginning to remember, sent, S is Spirit-empowered. We've been called by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to do great things for the Lord. E, evangelistic. We should be evangelistic in what we do. Now let me just be clear about this. There are lots of humanitarian organizations in the world that want to feed people and take care of them and give them clothes and give them medicines. All those are fantastic. We need that. In fact, as believers, we should be about those same sorts of things. We should be clothing people and feeding people and loving people in the name of Jesus Christ. But we need to be careful because if it just ends in us being kind and helping people and never gets to the truth of the gospel, we've missed our calling. Because there are literally a thousand humanitarian organizations that will give people food, but the church literally has the market cornered on who can give them the food of Christ. you understand that? We're the only ones that can. And so we, we can't sell ourselves short of just loving people and never actually getting to the truth of the gospel. We have to, on some level, be evangelistic. And then last week we added the end, no limits. And, and we said very simply that there are no limits to what the Lord can accomplish through you. There are no limits to what the Lord wants to do in your life and in your heart. The, 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 the problem isn't the calling or the power of the Lord or the scriptural mandate we see over and over and over. That's not the problem. The problem is our lack of faith and trust and obedience in the Lord. He says very simply, I've sent you, I've called you, I want you to do great things. If you'll trust me, I'll use you for my name's sake. It's not about that, it's about us actually believing he can do it. And so we're reminded on a regular basis in this sermon series that God actually uses real people to accomplish great things. This morning, we're going to look at Moses. Now, Moses is a man that God used to accomplish great things, and we understand through the life of Moses, and we'll see this as we walk through the text, that there's really no limits to what the Lord can do. There's no limits to how the Lord can use you and how the Lord can work in you to accomplish His purposes. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of background about Moses in case you're not familiar with him before we kind of jump right into the middle of this story. You may remember from our study of Genesis that the people of Israel kind of left the, the, the area of Canaan and migrated as they followed Joseph into Egypt. Now the Bible tells us, if we were to begin the first part of the book of Exodus, that after a period of time, the Israelites grew to such a large number that the Pharaoh was fearful of who these people would become. So he looked around and he saw that at this moment there were probably millions of Israelites living in Egypt that he had enslaved. He was fearful that one day they would rise up and overthrow the Egyptians. And so the Pharaoh made one of, the, one of the cruelest decisions really in history. And he said, you know, from this point forward, any male son that's born, any male child that's born, we're going to kill that child. And he tried to convince the midwives to do it. And you can go read the account yourself. He tried to convince them to do it and they wouldn't do it. So he basically said, listen, any little baby boy that's born, we're going to throw him in the Nile River because we don't want these little baby boys growing up at the Israelite men they are going to overthrow the Egyptians. And so in the midst of this climate of killing these boys because of fear, Moses is born. Now Moses is a tiny little baby. He doesn't know anything yet. He's defenseless. He's helpless. 
And his mom, in fear for his life, builds a little basket. You probably remember that when you were a kid learning the story of Moses. She builds a little basket out of reeds and she covers it in in pitch like a tar. She puts Moses down into the little basket, takes him down to the Nile River and floats him off and hopes that somebody will find him. Well, you remember the story. Pharaoh's daughter has come down to bathe in the Nile. She finds Moses, basically takes him in, raises him. He lives in the house of Pharaoh for many, many years. And then all of a sudden, one day, the Bible tells us Moses is out kind of walking. And he notices that an Israelite is being beaten by an Egyptian. Physically beaten. Moses kills the Egyptian. Word spreads, Pharaoh hears, Moses flees. That's the short version of the story. Now, for this is important. We'll get back to this in just a second. For 40 years, Moses is now going to wander in the wilderness as a shepherd. 40 years, he's going to wander in the wilderness as a shepherd. Now, let's pick the story up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. I think we have the screen... The sermon, the the verses on the screen is you for... Man, I'm having a hard time saying that. I think we have the verses on the screen for you. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin in in verse 1 there. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's tending his sheep. He's walking around. He comes to this mountain. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, we know this story, most of us, the burning bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Verse 3, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God. He's going to tie us into Genesis here now. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now this is the, this is the reminder of the promised land, right? He's saying, I haven't forgotten the people of Israel. They're enslaved. I've heard their cries. I've come down now to rescue them, to bring them out into a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10. Here's the word. So now, go, I am, what? Sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said to him, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 14, maybe one of the most famous passages in the conversation between Moses and the Lord. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now let's stop there because there's a lot of truth in this passage of Scripture, in these 14 verses. There are a lot of things we could say, but there are three truths I want to bring out to you that will help you understand how and why Moses was sent. And you can begin to apply that same idea, that same truth to your own life. Here's truth number one. We're going to give you this passage of Scripture, I mean this, this truth, and we're going to go back through the text and look at it. Number one, we are sent in God's timing. We are sent in God's timing. Now, just a little side note here. God doesn't always work on your timeline. Did you already know that? Seems like the older I get, the more that becomes very clear to me. God's not as interested in your timeline as you are, I can promise you that. However, God will work on his timeline. Now think about Moses just for a few minutes here, because Moses is an interesting character. He's been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time. Out of the blue, the Lord speaks to him through a bush. Now I don't know what Moses was thinking as he kind of went back through this in his mind and he kind of maybe reflected back on it. But I just think what I would think would be something like this. Lord, you, you want to use me to do great things. Why did it take you 40 years to call me? I mean, I've been out here, Lord, for 40 years. Could you not have called me 39 years and 11 months earlier? I mean, I could have spent a, maybe a, a month out here and wandered around a little bit. But 40 years, Lord, why did you wait so long to call me? And I'm just reminded because God isn't really interested in what we think and our timeline and what we think's best. God says, I've got a, a real clear plan for you and it's in my timing, not yours. A couple of years ago, I set aside two weeks in the summer to do something a little bit different, something I've really never done before and something I'd like to do again. But I set up my schedule and kind of prepared things up here so for two weeks I didn't have to be here physically present on the, on the campus. And I could go away literally and be by myself and pray and study and just listen to the Lord. And so I worked all the details out. I had a place in town I could go and, and be completely alone where nobody would ever find me a house I could go to kind of out on a lake and nobody knew where I was. And, and I just was prepared that week. I wanted to, to listen, those two weeks, I wanted to listen to the Lord and pray and study and really be in solitude. And, and just a little side note here, I would encourage you, and I know with jobs and family this can be very difficult, but you ought to at least once a year take a day of solitude. A day of solitude means you go off by yourself. You turn off your phone, any way the world can connect you. You get out all by yourself and you just be with the Lord. It's very powerful to do. And so I set aside these two weeks because I wanted to pray through and, and, and plan some things and think about sermon series and just hear from the Lord. And I had this mindset going into this that over the course of these two weeks, the Lord was just going to download into my brain all he wanted to tell me. That was my thought. And so I, I literally went to this place with a Bible, uh, a, a blank notepad, and a pen. And I would sit there, and my, the first several days I would sit there, and I would just be praying, studying, pen in hand, blank notebook, as if I was saying to the Lord, Okay, Lord, I've got everything arranged. 
I've set up my schedule the way I wanted to set it up. Lord, everything's good. I've worked it all out for you. I hope you're grateful that I've done this for you, God, because here I am. I'm ready to listen, so let me have it. That's kind of how I felt. And I just kind of sat there. And I listened, and I listened, and I listened, and nothing. Nothing. One day led to two, two days led to three. And I'm, I'm still praying, I'm still reading my Bible, but I'm not getting what I thought I would get. And I, I, beca- I kind of became a little frustrated with the Lord, like, you know, how dare you, Lord? I mean, I set aside two weeks for this. This is a lot of work to plan to be out here, and how dare you not just give me what I need when I need it? And it was kind of in the midst of that prayer and kind of maybe almost debating with the Lord that the, the Lord just reminded me very clearly. When I'm ready to speak to you, I'll speak to you. Until then, you can just wait. And he reminded me of all the instances in Scripture when the Lord just out of the blue spoke when the Lord was ready, not when the person was ready, right? Moses, just out of the blue. Noah, out of the blue. Abraham, out of the blue. Paul on the road to Damascus, out of the blue. Over and over and over in Scripture, God speaks when he's ready. And we need to be reminded as we're thinking about his will for life and what he's calling us to do and how he's sending us. And even as we're walking through difficult times, God is going to operate in his timing, not necessarily our own. Right, now, that sounds good biblically. We can, we can all amen that, right? But in the real world, that's difficult, isn't it? Why? Because many of us are not very patient. We, we live in a world that doesn't scream patience. I mean, if you're like me, you go to the drive through window and you order your whatever. If they ask you to pull up, really? I mean... It's going to cost 30 more seconds. I don't have time, right? We, we want our cell phones to ring when people call us. We want our internet to download quickly. We want our food ready when we're ready. We want to get in line and to be ready. We even want to order a Chick-fil-A on an app so we don't have to stand in line when we get to the store, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. We, we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait on God's timing. We've got it all figured out, and yet the problem biblically is the Lord is saying to us over and over and over again, Be patient. Wait on my timing. Wait on my plan. In fact, I've got a few scriptures. I want you to see this. I don't want you just to take my word for it. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. I think we have this up. This is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's a lot of them, love, joy, peace. What's that word? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amongst other things, the Lord tells us in that passage of Scripture, we need to be patient. Psalm 37, 7, I think we have that up. Be still before the Lord and wait, what? Patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. In other words, just trust the Lord. His timing is perfect. Wait on Him. Trust Him. Allow Him to work. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces, what? Perseverance. It produces patience, the ability to wait on the Lord. Now the next verse, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given, been given to us, right? The, the Lord is saying through Paul, you need to be patient, you need to wait, you need to trust me because I've got a better plan than you. Now we ask ourselves the question, why would the Lord remind us so many times to be patient? Because he knows we're going to be impatient, doesn't he? 
Some of you are already thinking, would you hurry up and get to the next point? Right, I got this, right? What's next? We need to be patient. <laughs> we need to listen for the Lord. Now, some of you need to hear this in this very moment because some of you are, are, are waiting for the Lord to do something and you're hoping the Lord's going to speak or you, you've asked the Lord to do something He hadn't done. Some of you need to hear it's His timing, it's not yours. So you say, okay, I, I get that from a, a standpoint of Scripture. I get that biblically. How do I actually live that out in my life? What are things I ought to be doing? Because if you're saying to me, Adam, that the Lord's timing is different than mine, I need to be patient and I need to wait on the Lord. What should I be doing in the meantime? I'm going to give you three things very quickly this morning that you can be doing as you prepare to wait. If you're in the middle of waiting... Maybe you're waiting on God's calling or something in your life you're dealing with that you've been praying through an issue and you just feel like the Lord's not moving as quickly as you'd like Him to move. Three things you can be doing as you wait. Here's the first. Be constant in prayer as you wait. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Paul says in the, in the middle of difficulty, you need to rejoice. You need to be patient and you need to pray. See, see, God understands something you don't necessarily understand. He understands that when you get to this point in your life, when the time is right, He's going to prepare you for that moment, a moment that you're obviously not yet prepared for now. You understand that? When you get to this point over here, God will have prepared your heart for that moment. You're obviously not ready for it now. So in the meantime, you need to be praying. Lord, I'm not real good with being patient. I'm not really sure why you're doing this, but I trust you. I love you. I want you to work in my heart as I wait. That's the first thing. Here's second. Renew, rest and renew your strength as you wait. Rest and renew your strength as you wait. Look at Isaiah 40, 31. But those who what? Wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. If you'll be patient and wait, in that process you will be renewed and strengthened. Then you can mount up with wings like eagles. You can run and not be weary. You can walk and not be faint. See that? If you'll be patient and wait and allow the Lord to work, He will strengthen you and renew you. Then the third thing, as you wait, you should grow in your faith. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish his work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So let's look at that in reverse. If you want to be mature and complete, you need to allow the work of perseverance and patience in your life. You see that? So God is working something out in you. He needs to finish that work of perseverance and patience so you can be mature and prepared for everything he has for you. See, I think a lot of our problem is we don't trust the Lord enough to be patient. We don't have the faith we need in those moments to believe he really is at work and that he really wants to do great things through us. If our faith in the Lord is strong, we're able to wait. If our faith is weak, it seems harder and harder to wait on his timing. So I want you to look what Moses says here, what the Lord says to Moses in the conversation. Look at verse 10 as we continue. So the Lord says, listen, I've got this plan for you. I want to use you kind of out of the blue. I'm going to call you in my timing. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here's truth number two. 
Not only are we sent in God's timing, but number two, we are sent to accomplish difficult things. We are sent to accomplish difficult things. Now, I want you to just kind of put yourself in the place of Moses just for a few minutes here. The Lord didn't say to him, Moses, I am sending you down to the river to drink some water. Right? Or I'm sending you to pick some fruit. Or I'm sending you to go have a conversation with the person. Now the Lord may have done that and that would be fine. That's all within the, the will of the Lord. But the Lord's going to call Moses to do something. I would say really is, is almost a notch or two beyond difficult. I would say it's almost from an earthly standpoint impossible. I want you to kind of get this. I'm going to give you kind of three reasons that this calling of the Lord upon Moses was almost impossible. Here's the first reason. The last time Moses was in Egypt, Pharaoh had tried to kill him. Remember, Moses had killed the Egyptian. Word got to Pharaoh. What had happened, the Bible tells us in Exodus 2.15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, stayed in the land of Midian. So the last time Moses laid eyes on this guy, he wanted to kill him. Now, I I think I can say with certainty in my life that I've never had somebody that literally wanted to kill me, I hope. (laughs) That's the case. But if I did know that there was somebody that wanted to and was actively trying to kill me, probably the last thing I'd do would drive up to their house and confront them about it. God says, Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, the guy who said he was going to kill you, And I want you to speak to him. That's the first thing. Here's the second reason. Pharaoh was the most powerful ruler in the world. Not only was he the most powerful ruler in the world, but the people of Egypt saw him as deity, as a god. And so the Lord says to Moses, listen, I want you to go back and confront the guy that threatened to kill you. Not only did he threaten to kill you, he's literally the most powerful ruler in the world and could do anything to you he wanted to do to you. I want you to go back to him and confront him and tell him he needs to let the people of Israel go. Number three is the people of Israel were incredibly important to the Pharaoh. Why? Because he had enslaved them. He had used them for labor. He built a lot of Egypt on the backs of these Israelite slaves. And so God says to Moses, listen, I want you to go and confront the guy that threatened to kill you, who, oh, by the way, is the most powerful man in the world and is seen as a God, who, oh, by the way, likes the people that he has because they help him build his empire, and he has no desire to let them go. Moses, I want you to go back to that guy, and I want you to say to him, Pharaoh, I want you to let these people go. Now, from an earthly standpoint, this is very important, from an earthly standpoint, that's impossible. There, there's no logical, realistic way this could ever happen from an earthly standpoint. But what we begin to understand as we study this text is that some kind, sometimes God calls us to accomplish difficult things. Sometimes he calls us to accomplish things way outside of our comfort zone. Every now and then he calls us to accomplish things that would be impossible without him. Now that's news to some of you. So just let that sink in for a second. Sometimes we want to do things that are pretty easy. That we can do within our own power. And sometimes the Lord is saying to us, you know, you need, you need to kind of step not only outside that box, but kind of destroy that whole paradigm. I don't want you to do things that are easy that you could accomplish. I want you to accomplish something incredible that you could not do without me at work in you. Those are the kinds of things the Lord wants us to do. 
I'm reminded of William Carey. William Carey sailed as a missionary to India in 1792. Now, you know this, but I just want to remind you of this truth. In 1792, he left, uh, he left and, and sailed to India with the idea that he probably would never see his homeland again. He would probably never see his friends again. He would probably never return. He obviously couldn't call. Letters were almost impossible. So when he left, he really left. And he sailed away to a place that many people had never been. They didn't know a whole lot about. He gets to India, and for eight years now, he preaches the gospel. No results. Nothing. And eight years into his ministry, one local man converts to Christ and is baptized. Now, I, I know my personality. If I did something like that, I think eight days into it, after seeing no fruit, I'd start to wonder. After eight weeks, I'd probably be fed up. Are you, I mean, Lord, <laughs> eight months... I'm going home. I mean, nothing's happening here. I, I gave it the best shot I could, Lord. I trusted you. I, obviously, I, I missed this call because you're not at work. I'm going to go home. But eight weeks, eight months, year after year after year, eight years later, one man comes to Christ. But here's the amazing thing about William Carey. He wasn't deterred in what he was doing because he lived by a very simple premise. He wrote it. People understood it about him. Here's what William Carey said. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So over the next 28 years, he translated the entire Bible into India's major languages, parts of 209 other languages and dialects. He founded a college in 1818 to train men for the ministry, which, by the way, is still open today. I googled it. I was just curious. They still have students. You can still look at the classes they offered. And I want you to listen to this quote about William Carey. By the time Carey died, he had spent 41 years in India without a furlough. He didn't go home. His mission could count only 700 converts in a nation of millions. But he had laid an impressive foundation of Bible translators, education, social reform. And his greatest legacy was in the worldwide missionary movement of the 19th century that he inspired. He became known as the father of modern missions. Missionaries like Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, and David Livingston, among thousands of others, were impressed by not only Kerry's example, but by his words. Expect great things of the Lord and attempt great things for the Lord. Sometimes we try to do simple things, don't we? Sometimes we miss the greatness of God. Sometimes we miss that he wants us to do great things for him. And so I just want to encourage you as you kind of pray through how the Lord is sending you and what he wants to accomplish through you, I want you to just kind of allow him, if you would, in your prayer to speak to you about things you never dreamed possible, about things you never thought you could accomplish on your own. Now, here's what you're saying. We're winding this down this morning. Here's what you're saying. I don't, I don't know that I can accomplish those things. Some of that stuff's too big for me. Great things for the Lord. I'm not sure the Lord wants to use me to do those things. I'm not sure the Lord could actually uh, accomplish this kind of stuff through me. It's the same line of thinking that Moses uses. Pull verse 11 back up if you would for me, please. 
I love Moses' response because Moses understands very clearly what's going on. Moses understands this is a big deal. This is impossible. This could never happen in my own strength. And so look at the response of Moses to God in verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 12, And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask, What's his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Here's truth number three. When we are sent, the Lord goes with us. When we are sent... The Lord goes with us. We're sent on God's timing and His plan. We're sent for His purposes. We're sent to do difficult things, not the easy stuff that sometimes we want to do, but the hard things. And when we go, we go with the promise that the Lord will be with us. You know, some of the most comforting words you can hear if you've ever gone through difficult times in your life is for somebody that you care deeply about to say to you, I'm going to be right here with you as you go through it. If you've ever struggled through a time or a difficulty or a situation in life that maybe you're struggling with now, to know that there's somebody else with you that actually cares about you, that knows you, and that wants to help you, when that person says, listen, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to be with you, those are some of the most comforting words we can ever hear. We need to understand this truth in Scripture. We see this in Exodus 3. We see it all through the Old and the New Testament. The Lord says to you with absolute certainty, listen, when, he, when I'm calling you to do great things, when the Lord calls you to do great things, He's saying to you, I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You're not going to do it in your own strength. You're going to do it in the strength of the Lord. Psalm 23, we, we've all heard it. We've heard it so many times we may have kind of forgotten or maybe become numb to it. But here's what the Lord says in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One writer said it like this. If God has called us, he's done so with full knowledge of our weaknesses and inabilities. When he sends us out into his work, he never sends us alone. I just think too many of us are underestimating what the Lord can do through us. I think he's got great plans for his people. I believe with all my heart that there are people within this congregation that the Lord would literally use to shape and to change the society and maybe even the world if we would just trust him. If we would just believe that he has called us to do great things and allow him to work in our lives, allow him to use us, allow him to, to, to send the Holy Spirit through us to accomplish things in this part of the world and beyond. So the question becomes, are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to offer him that blank check? Lord, here's a a blank check. You fill it in like you want to. I'll do whatever you've called me to do. Are you willing, regardless of what it takes, to seek and to follow the Lord when he calls you to go? Here's the question. I end with this every Sunday. What is God sending you to do? That's the question you have to answer in your heart. Let's pray.
Father, we are again reminded of the clear calling in Scripture of our lives. Another example, Father, of an individual that you called and sent with a very specific task, with a very specific calling, with a very specific purpose. Father, you did it in your timing. You you, you asked Moses to do very difficult things, but you promised him, as you still promise us, that when we go to fulfill the will of the Lord, that you go with us. And so I pray right now, Father, in, in the doubts of our hearts right now, Lord, there are people right now that are doubting. Lord, speak to them right now, Lord. Clearly remind them of truth. Don't let them get, them get confused with fear and uncertainty, Father, and not quite sure what's going on. Remind them of your truth that you have called them, you have sent them, you will equip them, you will go with them, you want to accomplish great things through them. That's our calling to greater things, Father, to greater things for you and for your kingdom. Don't let us get mired in, in fear and uncertainty in the lies of the devil. Help us to cling to the truth that we have been sent through the power of the Spirit to accomplish great things for you. Give us the courage and the ability to do everything you've called us to do. And we'll praise your name for what you accomplish through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand. The altar is open. This is your opportunity to respond as we sing you come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.